Welcome back to the Social Distance Podcast, a episode that is right in the depths of the off-season of cycling now, so not a lot of cycling to talk about. Uh, we talk about the difference between sledging and stadium sports, cricket mainly, compared to sledging and cycling, how boring people are in cycling with sledging. Uh, we talk about... George has issues at the gym with confidence. Yeah. We talk about my experience of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the off-season. We talk about, uh, George tells us a story about when he nearly won a stage at the Tour of Southland, but ended up with um, a dirty chamois instead. And we ask you guys for content, and we tell you to buy our merch. Like, share, subscribe. Enjoy the show. Let's, let's just run the intro and wing it like we always do and see what comes out of it. Mm, let's get ready to rumble! Frank just getting pulled in the basketball chat. My radar's going pretty hard at the moment. I think we should. Will you shut up, man? That escalated quickly. We're going to need to get some more qualified guests on this, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Barry White edition. I've come with a bit of a Barry White, bit of a Barry White voice today, fellas. We've had a week yeah. off as well. We've actually we had a week breather. You'd think you'd, oh, that would bring the health levels back to top form, but. Very well. Yeah. I don't think the podcast has been what's bringing your health down. I don't think <laughs> no. that's the reason that you've been under the weather. Oh, so much podcasting. <laughs> you guys did a live podcast in between, though. No, we don't yeah, talk we about did. that, though. Don't sell yourself short. We did do a live potty. It was actually like, it was one of those situations like, where we, we knew it was coming. Do we need to relitigate the live potty? Yeah. People want to I hear watched, it, mate. Uh, I watched some of the vision. It wasn't too bad. Nah, could have been worse. The, the worst yes, part was Bewley's research, like when he did introductions for guests. Like, I of all the clip that you sent me, Bills, I didn't have a lot of time, but I clipped up this little gold nugget when you're trying to introduce uh, Simon Gerrans. You guys, you must all know that Gero's won Milan San Remo, he's won the age, best on the age, he's won Tour it Up Down Under, what, twice? Would have been three times he didn't fall off the mountain bike through before he breaks the collarbone. <laughs> yeah, four times, mate. Four times? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, four times. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, then, Mister Fucking Two to you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was there was like we like we always do. Like this show as well. <clears throat> we had we had about six weeks' notice for this show, and there was a lot going on. George was in Lankawi. I was <clears throat> at a wedding for a day. Um, yeah, talking about the bucks. <laughs> talking about the bucks party. So, like as you can imagine, we didn't do a lot of preparation. And we, we, it was part of this event called the Gerodio, which was put on by, by the service course. And we, we went and did this 80K or 90K gravel ride with a cool group of people. You know, lots of good, interesting people there to interview. Gero, we interviewed Alexi Vermoulin, who'd won, you know, who's been cleaning up on the gravel scene in the States. Um, Hannah and her sister Alice Barnes. Uh, who else did we interview? We interviewed Impey. We know Daryl Impey. We didn't have to do much research. Esteban Chavez. Esteban Chavez. We interviewed um, one of the guys from... We interviewed MP. more people than, than people were watching, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we, how, but many, we, how many people were there? Like 80? 70 or 80? Oh, yeah. That's not too bad. Something like that. Yeah. And it was a bizarre feeling. Like, we said it in the show. Like, <clears throat> it's so weird to think that the fact that, you know, we do a podcast and the whole idea of the podcast is to entertain people, but to... But ultimately, we want to grow the listener, the listener base. Like the more listeners that you get when you when you have a podcast, the better. But like now, I'm sitting in a room all by myself, just talking to you, fucking idiots on the on a screen, and 
it's okay. But <clears throat> when you're like doing it live in front of 80 people, all of a sudden it's like, shit, there's people actually staring at us. And like George says, we did not have the power of the delete button. And you needed, we do you, use needed, that. you needed Jonesy, let's be honest, because I <laughs> yeah. love that shit. Mm. I love talking to oh, yeah, on fuck, that. Me out I would have fed off it. Mm. I enjoyed it. I'll do it again. I George looks traumatized. It's like, you know, like touching your face is like the first sign it's bringing back. Like, it's giving me like this. Oh, I just think back to it. I just like to delete things from my memory, right? Like, so anything that bad happens or anything I didn't like, I just delete and never revisit it. It's like when you've had a night out and people go, oh, look at this video from you last night. And you go, don't ever show me that again. Don't like do what you want with that video. But as long as I never see it, it just, it's just like ignoring, you just got to, because if, if you look back at yourself or revisit those memories and when you're uncomfortable, you just go, oh, my God, just want to, you know, like when you just like, ah, you just have those like random moments, you just want to yell when you just like revisit something like, like 2 a.m. lying in bed. Oh, like, ah! You're talking like it was an absolute train wreck. <laughs> like from what I could see and what I skimmed through, like people were having a laugh, like it was fine. Look, the reality, what the reality is that what I was getting, the point I was getting to is that we had six weeks to prepare for it and we didn't. We just simply <laughs> didn't prepare for it. And we got to the pub, we got to Dos Kiwis at the end of the ride, and we had about an hour and a half until we were doing our show. And at that point, George and I thought, should we prepare for this? And we, amongst having conversations with other people and being social, we prepared for the show. So as you can imagine, you know, it was all right. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say it was the best, my best work. But I enjoyed it, and you know, it was it was clear that the preparation at certain points is important. Well, on the flip side, you had your uh, retirement party, Jules, and how'd the video go down, George? There's a there's a tribute video, but then we spliced in some of Billy's old cooking videos. Oh yeah, it was good. So the bloody full full house at the at a retirement party, and and Jules thought finally we're gonna do something nice for him, like a nice like. You know, so he run video, videos from people all throughout his career. And two things I took away from this is, one, how terrible people are with admin. Like six weeks ago, I was like, guys, send me some videos. So I get, like three days ago, I get a bunch of videos. Everyone sent them in finally. And then on the morning of the event, I get like another like eight videos. And I'm like, final cut, mate. You guys didn't make it. Anyway. When Bueller thought we were getting, going to play him something nice, like a tribute video from people throughout his track career, his family, people back in Rotorua, and you just punished him with making him relive his lockdown cooking videos. <laughs> so you're, That's a, awesome. you're, actually, you're an asshole because yeah. two minutes ago... It was a ago, nice moment and we ruined it. Yeah, actually, it was. I loved it. It, was, it made me cry, actually. Um, but two minutes ago, you just said, I hate relitigating... Th- things that I've done, you know. I don't want to relitigate the past. But you have no problem throwing your mate straight in front <laughs> yeah. of the oncoming train. Mate, can you relive the lockdown period with those cooker videos? Yeah. The TGV what was it... coming down from Figueres at like 140k an hour and Spills was just standing on the platform and I just gave him a little kick in the ass straight under the train. But first you threw my though. foot on the train. My foot just hit the train and you pulled me back and like, nah, just joking and showed me a nice video. Then you chucked my arm into it and then you're like, nah, just joking, here's a nice video. It was it was nice. It was a good party. I like. Was I don't know if we. Was I, I think there? we spot. You were there. Yeah. Ah. You were in and out. <laughs> um, the. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good layer up actually. I was I was reluctant to do a retirement party for quite a while, and 
I don't know why. I think just kind of, I felt like the time had kind of passed. I was like, ah, fuck it, you know, let's just move on now. But then I was convinced into having a party and it was fucking good. It was a good night. Great night. Hosted yeah, by, the, sh- by the crew at Horse Category in Girona. It was a shame <clears> you did it the night after I left though. It was, it was, but you had to make the call. Do I want to do it for George? Because George gets back or James yeah. is leaving. Program. So I arrived. I left the day. Was it? I, I was in the airport at the same time as you. As you were yeah. leaving, I was, I was arriving. Yeah. That, was a, that was a traumatizing trip. Two and a half weeks away from home in October. Mm. Don't recommend that. No. No. Especially the Lane Carly. Good ride. You mean, finished fourth, mate. Top five. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you always just take one number more. You know, if you get like 14th, you get our oh, top 15, mate. Top 15. Yeah. <laughs> top 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's been, a big, yeah. it's been a big few weeks. We're kind of at that sticky, we're at that sticky point now, eh, with the, with the potty where it's like the season's over and ultimately we're a cycling podcast in some way, shape or form. Um, so it's difficult to like, there's no cycling to talk but about. Do you know what moment. season it is? Do you know what season it's merged into? It's merged into gym season. That's yeah. for me, that's where I'm at the moment. Not riding bikes, we're just going to the gym. And I tell you what, I think the worst humans in the world live at the gym in Girona. The worst humans in the world. You've got this bizarre mix of like, like a few like random Instagram models. And then just absolute creatures just screaming and grunting and flexing. Oh, and yeah. like, and so for me, like going in there the first few times, I'm struggling to even get to the door. I'm walking in there and I'm just going, there's like, you know, the guys with the stringlets and the, and the, and they're all wearing like, they're almost wearing like, um, hot girl yoga pants and stringlets. And I'm walking in there and what's a like, stringlet? Like the thin you singlet. You know, like a singlet. Oh. Oh yeah, with no arms. What we would call, oh god, it's probably. Does anyone else call this a wife beater? <laughs> that's just a. Yeah, the blue oh, ones yeah. in Australia. They call them like uh, the white ones. Oh, that's a flannel one. Yeah, the, the mm. blue, the blue chesty bonds. They call them wife beaters in Australia. Oh, mm. so in New Zealand, it's the white, it's the white, um, chesty ones. But here, the stringlet is the the equivalent. Yeah. Right. So I'm walking in with these guys and like I'm having some major body dysmorphia issues. I'm walking in weighing like these guys. They look like You got the biggest you know attitude cows? in the room though. You got the biggest ego well, in the room. <laughs> no, see it takes it, it took me a while. Well, you like, don't I'm even have that. Up. Jeez, it's changed. No. I've going in there. Gone. And I've got it like my forearm is the same size as my bicep. Like there's literally no change between where I'd put a watch and where my like my cycling shirt, like the sleeve diameter, is exactly the same size as what I make a watch. Like it's just one tube, just a bone from shoulder to wrist. So, so you got room to move then, George? There's plenty of room to get some sort of well, bump. I'm just so self-conscious when I walk in there. So I put in the like, like squats. The, fuck me. So I'm sitting up the squat rack, right? And I'm putting the bar on, and I'm just like try and find one that's already got a bar across it, you know? So I'm like, oh, can I pick the bar up? And then I'm like, fuck, I've got to put a couple of 20s on here. And to pick the 20 up off the ground and put it on each end of the each end of the thing, you know? I'm like struggling this up and everyone's just giving me these like, 
these like little smirks, like it's a lot of weight for a for a small guy, mate. And I've only got like forty kilos on me or something, you know. But the problem was the other day is like you know the the hip thrust one where you put it over your you put it over your like your hips and you load it and you're lying on your back on the ground and you sort of you thrust upwards. I was um I was on there the other day and I was like, oh, this is actually one I'm I'm right at, you know, like. Everything else, I'm just humiliated by. Everything's a humiliator for me in there, because guys are like quadrupling my weights and stuff, and I'm just gonna. And even the hot yoga girls are doing more weights than me, so I'm loading up this one just a little bit. Like, oh, because I haven't been for so long, so I think I'm pretty good at this one. I think I normally put about like, you know, 140, 160 on here. So I'm loading the shit out of this thing. Haven't done it for a year. Can't remember what weights I used to do, but I remember being like, I think I'm alright at this. Put it in, crawl under it, <laughs> try to lift it, and realize I'm just absolutely pinned. Like can't get up. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh, yeah. um, 2005. Me and my mates were planning on going on a Kentucky tour, so we're like, right, six months out, let's go to the gym, let's get a membership, and let's be like all the other Aussie bogans and just get tanked, like ripped. Hot boy summer. Oh yeah. So we went to like a gym around here in Caulfield, and part of the sign up is you got a free PT session. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, personal trainer. They're all wankers. Anyway, this bloke comes up and no shit, he would have been 30 kilos overweight. He was a personal trainer. And I'm like, hang on, how does that work? And I remember like he put me at one point, like we did all the the weight stuff and he was showing me how to do it and that. And he was struggling. And then we had to go on the treadmill and he was like doing like max efforts and that. And at one point I said, mate, turn it down. And he's like, Mate, don't take any shortcuts or something like that. I'm thinking, you fucking do it. Like, yeah. what do you? And it's like, and that's what I never understood. Like, remember, like there was no in Australia. There was like a swim coach who coached like the national team, and this guy was morbidly obese. Like, he was 200 kegs. Like, working in high professional sports environment. I was like, how does that work? At some point, when the athlete go, well, you fucking do it. Well, you look at, um, you look at. Uh... Like all blacks coaches over the years. I mean, Foster, he's got a rig. Also, you remember um who's the guy that looked like Java the Hutt? Cycling trainer. And he I can't remember who he was, but he's a very famous guy, Italian guy. Oh and yeah, yeah. Old school director. Looks like yeah, yeah. looks like Java the Hutt. Exactly yeah. like him. You yeah. know, and at some point he's like, Guys, it's not cold. You know, of course it's not cold for you, fucking you know, <laughs> like an Eskimo, you know. <laughs> I had the opposite of, I've experienced the opposite effect in off-season training. I did, a couple of years ago, I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was... <laughs> oh, right, eh? <laughs> no, Jackie Chan. I was like, oh, I want to do like a martial art, you know? Like, I want to, it's good for like mental stuff as oh, yeah, well. Yeah, in Girona know? or in New Zealand? Yeah, in Girona. I did it. Me and a mate of ours. And I... When um, you say you did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, this isn't one of those like dance classes at the gym like rumba no yeah it's a martial art mate you get a belt you, i okay. had a white belt and everything i had a, a gi they called it a gi like the full setup i should have worn it for the show and it's like so me and me and andy we, we were like oh let's do brazilian jiu-jitsu like for six weeks or two months or something so we're going a few times a week and but we didn't want to join a class because because like because i was a professional cyclist and he was like he's the he was a team osteo osteopath at the time, so we kind of tr- were trying to combine it into cycling and obviously trying to avoid getting injured. So we were like, let's just do a personal class. So we were signed up for this personal class, 
And the instructor, instructor, her name was Carmen. She was like, honestly, man, she would have been like 50 kgs. She was tiny. And like me and Andy are both like 80 kgs plus at the time. And <clears throat> we're like going to this jiu-jitsu class. And she would like be showing us these techniques and I'd be trying to like flip Andy over or whatever. And then she'd be like, nah, just like this. And just be like, boof. And just like pin us. Like, fuck. Like, so, she was so small. And then we like did these, we did like, every every lesson was an hour long. And we learned like two or three different techniques jiu-jitsu techniques and for those who don't know brazilian jiu-jitsu it's all on the ground so you're never on your feet you always start on the ground and you've got it you're not allowed to go to your feet so it's all like kind of wrestling on the ground and after about four weeks she taught us the chokehold and then at the end of every at the end of every session we do a five minute bout which is five minutes is hard man when you when you're not very efficient at jiu-jitsu techniques and <clears throat> we just got to the point where we'd learned like 12 different techniques but this particular day we learned the chokehold and we we're having these five-minute bouts, and we were just no matter what position we we're in, we we're just trying to choke each other out. And she's just like, "Use the other techniques. Use the other techniques." Like, I'd, Andy'd be on top of me, and I'd just be like trying to choke him, and just try to choke <laughs> each other out for like an hour. I did karate in um, Sale, and it was run by this absolute nutter who I think worked at the prison. And we only lasted one lesson because he thought we were all soft and we didn't have discipline. And I remember he said, "Like, whenever I go to a pub." I always like I never sit in or stand in the middle. I've always got my back to the wall because you never know who's going to come from behind. We're like, okay, this guy's clearly another. So we were, we were just <laughs> disinterested. And then pa- one of my mates, Pally, who's like a big unit, he's going, look at you, mate. Like you should be able to fucking hold your own. And he put him in the middle. And you know, like what you were saying with the instructors, they love getting their bloody hands dirty. Like he goes, give us your defense, and he shapes up. This guy just jumps up, does like a fly kick, and like creams him in the guts like Pally goes down thought he cracked a rib and that was Jesus. it he was like we're done with karate in sale like fucking over it just what a fly kicked him fly kicked him straight to the ribs I had a great so, yeah. I did karate my whole life when I was growing up Got did you black belt everything yeah black belt yeah, black experience. belt bullshit bullshit I don't know what to tell you I mean I'd I'd still get smoked in a fight but I my, my my old man, my old man still goes everything. Really? Wow, well, couple of knee operations in now. I don't know if he's still going, but so I if, some, if someone if someone went to attack you, you could pull on your old karate moves. Oh no, I go down in the steaming heap of shit, mate. I'm, I, I, you get into the pub, yeah, oh, get into pub fight. It, and you're like, before the pub fight starts, you're like, bow to your sensei, bow to your sensei. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, long time ago, I would, I mean, I'd go. I, I'm very fight at verse you know i've got a long way to long way out of my way not to get hit in the face you know i just feel like i don't have the skeletal integrity to take a hit in the head but surely you've got something if you're a black belt oh yeah something like what what's your best thing that you took out of having a black belt kicking because you don't let them get close right like mm. but if i'm wearing tight jeans or something <laughs> no good no chance <laughs> Yeah, well, off-season, the off season's changed for cyclists, say. Eh? Like, remember, like, not that long ago, where the off season was just about fully resetting, like, essentially doing almost nothing, maybe riding your bikes a little bit. But like now, like, modern day sport, modern or modern day cycling, at least, is like off seasons is like about doing a whole bunch of different cross training. It's you know? about like health and stuff. Like our doctor said to us, like, I want everybody running. Mm. because of bone density and stuff like that. 
Yeah, like running was never ever a thing. Now it's huge in cycling. Like people run throughout the season, and like definitely yeah. in the off season, I think almost every single bike rider runs. They all do the. They all go to the gym. They all do hiking. I do Brazilian jiu jitsu. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. We play a lot of cricket, bit of war ball. Yeah. Um, speaking of cricket, T the T Twenty World Cup. I'm watching obviously nonstop. That it looks like Aussie might uh, England might lose flank it. right now. I oh, know that's what um, I'm hoping for. Yeah, that'll be Aussie's last saving grace. But um, one thing I thought was hilarious I've been watching is like the how switched on the cricket. We talked about like cricket stages before, you know, like on the field, like the, the keeper being cheeky all the stuff. But how switched on cricket fans are, and oh, yeah. it was um, like I was just thinking about a couple of great things I remember. It was one was. A, I obviously wasn't alive when this was, or wasn't watching when this happened. But when when Hadley toured in when or when the Black Caps toured Australia, and the first it was three, it was a three match series, one day series. And the first match, Hadley was obviously just knocking everyone over, knocking everyone over. And then they just start this huge chant, you know, Hadley's a wanker, and the oh, whole that, stadium yeah. just going up, whole stadium Hadley's a wanker. Second test. The second second match, they'll get together and the chant is, Hadley's still a wanker. <laughs> and then the whole thing, Hadley's still a wanker. And I just thought, like, even when, like, um, was it, this one was pretty low, but the, was it Sonny Bill Williams that, um, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Used to, Warner's had a fling with wife. Warner's yeah. wife, and they go to South Africa, and all the South African fans show up with Sonny Bill Williams masks. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so high level. And I just thought, like, Oh, that, I mean, that's, that's, a pretty, that's a bit of a dog, dog one. But, like, I just thought of, like, the cycling equivalent's so shit. Like, the cycling fans trolling is just booing. You know, like, Ineos just got yeah. booed. Like, mm. yeah, fucking original shot, you know? Oh, but when, when Froomey got, got piss thrown on him, that was pretty next level. See? It's just <laughs> actually, like, yeah, it's, it's just, like, think, like, yeah, let's just be assholes. And, like, I don't mind. If someone wants to abuse me wittily, if someone, if, if like, Alpha mm. wears... The whole up the wears next year or whenever can get a Bennett's a wanker chant. I'll embrace it, you know. Mm. You've got to see the funny side of that. Exactly, like the cricket. Someone's just booing. And cricket, like even the even the players must, they must have a like low key oh. respect for the chants and for the for the yeah. And even like the on field, the on field banter and cricket yeah. is is so high level. Like those guys, it's almost like they do classes for it. Yeah, like oh, they they think about it. That's they so think clever. about it for sure. You Whereas know, like there's something you just go, oh, what the fuck are you doing? But we, like we were talking about with golf, there's certain <clears> players <throat> that we've identified. Like Cam Moy, you can't sledge him because he plays better. There's there's some cricketers as well. They do research, like psychological research, and they go, don't sledge that player because if you do, he'll bat better. But mm. there, there's other players that they go, nah, mate, go to town because he'll go to water. Yeah. Like Sledge Kane Williamson, and he'll knock you for six. You know what I mean? He's mm. like he's you, you, he's just a fortress. But like the, the, Davey the, Warner the, 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 the other day started getting chippy. <laughs> Bold next ball. Oh yeah, but the the best is the Irish cricket team because you know professional sports. Everyone looks pretty much like an athlete. Whereas there's an opening batter who's got like a pot gut. He's got a big ginger beard. He looks like that guy off Braveheart, you know, that just holds the axe up and yells out, McCulloch! 
And so he was playing Australia, and I thought, oh, mate, I'm rooting for this guy. Creams a couple of big sixes and then just spoons one. And then, you know, when they go and show the batter after he gets out, it's always that tight shot where he's just sitting there like, you know, pissed off or whatever. This guy's just chowing down on a, like, full-strength Coca-Cola. 600 mil, oh, just like full, the full it. fat, the full fat, and then like you can see he's like got the coke reflux, like he's just get the like it's Susan like when, goes out legend. Remember when like Warner used to sit in the in the stands and just smoke darts like between oh, yeah. innings, um, like yeah. what a legend. Yeah. Well, David Boone, morning, they yeah. reckon they reckon David Boone, um, Greg Blewett room with him once, and he was only young, he was on tour. And it was three in the morning and he turns across and he just sees this red dot. He thought it was a UFO and it was Booney having a dart in bed <laughs> whilst he was asleep. Didn't you Booney imagine do, that era didn't of Booney do some that... record? Like he oh, like 52 he, beers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fifty-two cans of beer from Sydney to London or something, eh? Oh yeah, so it was always a thing. It was always what? like a record, and the record was was forty six. Yeah. And uh and it's and and then they landed. So Booney destroys it. Fifty two, fifty two cans of piss from. I, I interviewed we, Dean Jones Mel- about it. Yeah, it's so. Oh really? I, yeah, I we, we were doing a podcast four or five years ago, and I wanted to talk to him about Booney's can drinking record because he was on that tour, and he said that. They, they talked about it before, and he said, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to break the record." And all the air hostesses got in on it. And this was the days where it wasn't like, you know, you fly to Dubai, then London. You had to do like two stops. So the first stop was like somewhere in um, Singapore or, or near India. And then there was another stop just past the UAE. Then on to like, there was like three legs. And they said the first leg, like the players were drinking with Booney, like as support. But the hosties just kept bringing the cans over. And the, by the end of the first leg, he smashed like 16 cans. And then in the middle leg is when he really put the hammer down. And he got to, you know, 40 cans. And there was like four or five cricketers that tried to drink with Booney. And they're spewing in the toilets and they're like a mess. And then by the time he breaks the record, the last two cans, they reckon they had to open Booney's mouth up and just like tip him in (laughs) to break the record. So then they land and there's a press conference straight away. And they're like, oh, fuck, like Booney, like he's in no state to talk to anyone. So they just put some dark shades on him and put him in the corner and like no questions to Booney. And then... Merv Hughes, still half cut, says to the media, oh, well, we've already made a half century before we've landed. And they go, what are you talking about? They go, it's official. Bernie's broken the tinny drinking record. He smashed 52 cans. And um, Bob Simpson was the coach at the time. Fucking ripped him a new asshole. Like, you know, you guys are an absolute disgrace. Like, you've just landed and you're bragging about smashing 52 cans. But, yeah, it's a 100% like true story. It's unreal. You imagine mate. that. You imagine that team, Merv Hughes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Just that, you know, the era of that. I mean, it's reminiscent of, like, Vanderbrook and cycling, you know? Like, I I just think, like, the humans at that time, it was before, at that time, it was before people realized, like, how detrimental drinking beers is to athletic performance or how, like, or maybe it was just like, I don't know. It, it, maybe it was just before money was involved. You know what I mean? Like I feel like like a great example for me at the moment is like mountain running. I was just in the in the final of the World Cup for mountain running because my partner was there in the finals, and um, I was we you know we finished they finished the race five day stage race so five days of 
mountain running every day. And, um, you know, they're all sort of, it's like a famous party, you know, they have a party and the thing. And I was like talking to them about the state of their sport and they were at this crazy crossroads where not for years, no one's really, it's just been something they do because they love it, you know, and they, they, they go out drinking, they all support each other. They all wait at the finish line and have a beer at the end and all this stuff, you know. And it's now at this crazy crossroads where suddenly, since the lockdown, mountain running is really popular. Everybody loves it. And there's now money involved in contracts and prize money. It's 300 grand up in this series. And they're going, shit, maybe we shouldn't smash a beer and wait for each other. Maybe we should get off the legs and have a massage. And and, and that's what, like, like, if everybody was riding around and cycling for 50 grand, for sure, you know, there's way more fun. Of it and everything. You wouldn't but have as much money. It would be like the fun. old stories you hear about the welter. You'd be out on the piss. You'd be out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd go for a swim after the thing. You'd drink the water out the tap. That, you know what I mean? But it's yeah, it's, it's just too high stakes. And that's what's happened with cricket. It'd be real interesting being in Caitlin's shoes. Um, like being like at this tipping point of a, of a sport where it's been like, mm. because like, not to generalize, but I feel like a lot of a lot of people that do mountain running are probably like in some ways like introverted people. That's like quite a different sport. It's it's out of oh it is. Know, it's, it is. it's out of the it eyes is. of this of of the public. It's and that's kind of how they. It's why they do it in, in, in a lot of ways because it's you know it's their time and they're out in the hills by themselves. But then at the same time, it's becoming so popular and like in, in now like she when Caitlin did that Mont Blanc and stuff like I was watching it on TV and. In Spain, you can watch it on TV quite often. Um, so it is, like you say, it's tipping into this professional era of a sport that's always been an amateur sport. And it'd be interesting to know, like, what the people on the inside think. Like, I guess Caitlin would be the one to ask about it. But well, like, they, uh, I, I do, asked like, them. It's I good for the sport? The best guy. What's that? Oh, sorry. I sat down with the guy that won it all and we're talking to him about it. And he said, like, we want to go to the Olympics, but we know that when we go to the Olympics, it's going to be the death of the sport as we know it as well. Mm. So yeah, it is. And what's crazy, and, and, and they, they know like, yeah, we want to do this professionally, but we don't want to lose the spirit of the sport. And I was like, well, I don't reckon you can have cake and eat it. You know, nah, if you nah. want to have this, the spirit, you have to look what the, you have to change what the spirit is and go, all right, well, we're going to, if we want to make this a viable thing, the spirit of this sport needs to be we're going to suffer like fuck and run for six hours. And you can do that if you're professional or, or if you've got everybody waiting for you at the finish line giving you high fives or if you all hate each other and whatever, you know. You just have to mm. look at a different spirit of the sport because ultimately it's like do – you, have you seen that, um, that documentary, the – What's the bloody, oh man, where, where he lights a cigarette to start the race and it's this 300K or something and he just does loops or 100, like this, and you have like, I can't remember what it is. People listen. Oh, I want to watch it though. It sounds yeah. like a good start. It's, I, don't even it's know one of the best, I don't even know what sport it is. One of the best docos. <laughs> it's, it's a running sport, right? Oh. I think it's like three loops or, no, it's five loops, five laps and it's like the hardest ultra marathon and it's really hard to get invites. You have to send in a, uh, like a, you have to post in a letter of why you should be accepted, along with two US dollars, and something else weird like a like a placemat or something. I can't remember what the hell it was. 
And uh, then, you know, they let like 300 people start this race. And, and normally like maybe one guy finishes every second year or third year or something like this. And to start the race, the guy just lights a ciggy and that's the start of the start of the race. But like, it's this whole like community thing of people trying to survive the. Mm. Like bringing it, bringing it back to cycling. It's like, it's like the gravel, the gravel scene at the moment, especially in the States. And like we spoke about, we spoke about it with Alexi Vermeulen in the, in our live podcast that unfortunately we, d- we did try to record, but the recorder didn't work. Um, so we've got some dodgy video footage of it that maybe we can post somewhere at some point for those asking. We'll see. We're trying to work on it. The Barclay. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I was just going to oh, say, yeah. I Googled, Googled it. The hellish hundred mile race with 15 finishes in 36 years. Fucking hell. But like in the in the gravel scene, it's like the same thing. Like when the gravel scene started in the States not long ago, it was like this whole the whole idea of it was like this community spirit, like you know, it was like it was there wasn't money up for grabs, it wasn't professional, it was about being different and being alternative and like, you know, everybody has a beer together at the at the at the finish, maybe even at the start. Like it was kind of that was kind of the the scene, you know, that was kind of the vibe of gravel. But now it's got so big firstly it got big in mass participation so in the states you have races that have you know three four thousand starters <clears throat> so now of course the corporates come and now there's massive prize money there's uh like a handful of bike riders making really good salaries out of it and it's now it's this it's ex- the exact same tipping point now of becoming a really professional sport you know there's a world championships now hosted by the uci it's becoming a professional sport but there's still this massive resistance from a lot of the ogs of it who are saying like we don't want it to be that we want it to be this community we don't care about the money rah, rah, rah. but ultimately human nature like once a carrot gets dangled people are going to chase it and then all of a sudden you'll see in a year or two's time gravel is just going to be like road cycling it's just going to be professional sport with people train hard do all the one percenters make their equipment as good as they can community spirit's gone it's like about winning the winning the race i would rather have a full professional sport than the high fives you know what i mean I get my high fives at home. Yeah. So, as soon as there's cash, would, as soon as there's money incentives, that changes everything. Like when you said there's yeah. 300 grand up for grabs, as soon as there's big cash, it's over. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's it. And 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 I uh, like ultimately sport is like chasing the pinnacle, right? We want to be the pinnacle, pinnacle. And it's not like it's not means that you suddenly have to be an asshole or you can't have personality or you can't whatever. You can't be a nice guy. I mean, sometimes we struggle with that, but what, being proficient, being like chasing the pinnacle, ultimately is more important than than hanging around for a beer after the race. Mm. And you can still do that, like you say. And <clears throat> I agree with you, George. I think that is the definition of sport. Is like hype. You know, sport sport covers a whole massive range, massive bases from recreational to professional. You know, and. Of course, recreational is the bigger base of people who do a sport. Cycling, for example, millions and millions of people ride bikes recreationally. A handful of people race them professionally, but that doesn't mean you still shouldn't have the professional end of it. And like cycling is, cycling's a funny sport where, in a lot of ways, it's full of a lot of boring bastards, and the interviews are all the same. And you know, it's sort of changing in some ways. Like, I guess that, that was the whole premise behind the podcast that we're doing. Is like we don't want to be fucking boring. We want to be. We want to show who we are. And like. This show, for example, now we're not even hardly spoken about cycling, but that's who we are. It's the off season, rah, 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 you're getting an insight into our lives. But like the trail running, for example, or the gravel, for example, which is at that tipping point now, 
where it's about to turn professional, they're actually in the dream position. Like I would have loved to be in that position when cycling turned professional because you're yeah. actually you're going to be the you're going to benefit from the sport a paying your salaries and giving you your income, but they are the trailblazers and they can define the community and the environment and the personalities how they choose or the sport how they choose. Like <clears throat> like they can always be like surfing is more professional now than it used to be. I'm sure they're not smoking big doobies before they head out head out into the into the surf. But you like, sound like one of, you sound like an eighty year old woman describing young kids smoking doobies. Smoking big doobies. <laughs> but like still they still even though it's professional, they're they're like their environment and their sport is defined. It's because it's always been that way. And when surfing turned professional, they carried that culture through. Okay, yeah, they stopped smoking doobies before they went out into the surf. But they they still have that relaxed environment, that real like camaraderie, 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 camaraderie. Uh, that real like family kind of, we're all friends kind of feel, you know, like they define that. That's how the sport is. And yeah, but I think they play up to it. They play up to that for sure. You know, they're watching no, something and go, oh, that guy's a dick. No, I think they have punch-ons. Like, mate, they, they like surfing's a kind of sport where they get in, like, it's like you and me on the bike. Like, if we're in different teams, okay, maybe not you mm. and I, but like, I have people that I'm mates with or, you know, like, Fringe, fringe friendships with that I'd be like, fuck are you doing, man? What the fuck? You know? Right, they right. still punch on they, if people steal their waves, like in point break. Yeah. yeah. I think I think and I think they do in like the recreational side of surfing, definitely. Yeah. Especially yeah. not local. Mm. <laughs> My uncle moved to Torquay, and that's where in point break they go, you know, fifty year storm, Bells Beach, Australia. And he he talks it up. He's the uncle at Christmas who did fuck all clean it up here and come in at the death and put the tea towel in his arm, <laughs> make it look like he'd done something. And he, he gets to talk and he's like, oh, you know, I want to learn how to surf. And he's like, yeah, no, how hard could it be? So he gets the board, gets the weddy. He reckons like he went out to like the most advanced spot at Bells and he goes, fuck, I almost drowned. Mm. Like he like said, you... it was that rough. Sucked him out, lost his board, and like was battling to stay alive. There wasn't like flags and stuff. And oh, he no. said it was horrific. And he said, "Fuck that! I'm never surfing again." And you so, don't want to learn. You don't want to learn to surf in a local hotspot. You try to learn to surf in a local hotspot. All you're going to do is sit out there and bob around in the water. You'll never ever get on a wave because no, they everyone's fighting for a wave. Yeah. And like, and and it's a real surfing is like bizarrely territorial. Eh? It's crazy. Yeah. It's like. It's like a whole pack of dogs has gone out there, cocked their leg and taken a piss on the waves and been like, no one else is allowed out here. And like, I, somebody... I, I, don't, I don't know what his thought process was. Like, no. I'm not even going to start off on the big wide boards and, you know, like what we did at that training camp that year. That was fun. And I didn't care if you look like a dick. Like, you know, that's how you start. But he's got the thin, pointy ended surfboard, like the one that looked cool and went straight into where that professionals no, get wiped out. That was my approach at the gym when I got pinned under the weights. Same yeah, that's it. Just go get the biggest dog, biggest dog and yeah. bark at him. That's it. I, um... I've got I've got this fear about sharks lately. Like I've got a cabin up at Ocean Grove, and I just don't <clears> feel comfortable <throat> even swimming in the surf at the moment. Really? This, yeah. Someone got attacked at Ocean Grove like I don't know eight months ago. Shark literally bit off this person's calf. And just oh. think, you know, you know, you're not allowed to like um, kill white pointers and all this sort of stuff, mate. It, surely, there's heaps out there. I just don't like the thought of like. There's not heaps out there. It's, well, there, it's there. It's their territory as well. Like you've gone into their pointers. environment. No, I know that, but I'm just saying because they've 
there's got to be more go breeding. No, but there's more breeding, and they're they're hungry. Mm. I think so in South it. Africa they do cull them sometimes, like do they? because yeah, because in South Africa they get. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I have read this once before that there was like a great white. It was a female great white that like kind of made her home in a very very popular beach, like recreational beach, and um. So then in the breeding season, all the male white pointers would come come there. She was a real hottie. Yeah, she was a real she was a yoga, I think she's a yoga hottie. And uh they they so they had to actually in the end they had to they just had to kill that shark. Because, oh, so they killed the female one to get yeah. rid of the dudes. Mm. Honey pot. Yeah. Queen bee. Fuck. Gone. Yeah. Um I'm with you though, Jonesy. Like, I'm not I'm not with you with the killing sharks. I think no, I didn't say yeah. to kill them. I said since they haven't killed them. Oh, you said to kill them. Kill them. You said kill them. You no, said, I said kill them. It's different. You were like, you can't kill. I know you can't kill white pointers, but why not? You and no, I didn't you, say why you, not. What you basically said. I was, did not you advocate kill killing them. white pointers. Leave them. But what I'm saying is because they haven't been killing them, there's more of the bastards out there, and they're hungry. <laughs> they're coming for you. So my advice to people over summer: don't fucking swim in the surf. Ride it off. No, Go I'm to the local pool. No. Ride it off. Yeah. Hell no. That's the whole joy of the it. surf. You don't need it. To the risk. Um, on another note, so we were out with a couple of boys, um, and one guy was being a, a wingman trying to set up one of the younger guys with, with a group of girls there. And he was doing a good job getting them talking, introducing them, picking them up, picking them up. And... Uh, and then at one point, he just drops a bombshell story about him, about something he did. And this girl just lost all interest. And we're sitting around the next day talking about it. And I just love the terminology these boys are using. It's just, it's a great, just a great example of like where cycling terminology just overflows from the peloton into <clears> daily life. And then we're talking sitting the next day. And someone's like, oh, how'd you go to those girls last night? And boys like, the one guy's like, yeah, I, I gave you such a good lead out. I had you in the wheel. I dropped you off 200 meters to go. And I was just like, oh, this is a great term for like, yeah. for being a wingman. It's giving someone yeah. a lead out, you know, dropping them off 200 meters to go. And then the other guy was like, yeah, but then you fucking turn right on me. You put me in the barriers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was I, I just thought like, when you just put someone in the barriers in real life, like you've thrown someone on the bus from now on and it's just like, just put them in the barriers. And or when you're trying a... to help someone, like, fucking gave him a good lead out. Don't know what happened to him. It's so specific to cyclists as well, because no one else would know. Everyone knows the term wingman. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. it's my wingman. You're like, oh, it's my lead out man. Girls would be like, yeah, lead what? out man. What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Now, one of the, one so of the other, you, you guys did a potty uh, live uh, Dos Kiwis Brewery. Buells and I had a crack at doing, we had a crack at doing a potty at Barcelona. Out the front oh, of oh, what was that? The Maritz. Yeah, Jonesy. Just before Jonesy left, I just bought the the new bloody recorder thing that failed us at Dos Kiwis had just arrived, and the microphones and things. So we went down to Barcelona and we thought, oh, let's do a live, well, not live, but let's record face to face at a pub and see what we come up with. And it hasn't gone to air for a reason, eh? Well, there was a couple of good little nuggets because we're thinking like we want to bring back some segments, like you know, Legend and Bellend, or you know, Year better than 2020 and we've got one george right? i think this is right up your alley so this is it probably the only usable nugget i reckon Bules, from that whole podcast uh and this is a segment that we've come up with so 
This is called After the Film Ends. Shawshank Redemption, classic example. You you look at how that finished, you know, Red's come over, seen Andy Dufresne, they got away with it, he's sanding the boat down. But there's always a part of my brain going, how's, how's that going to be sustainable? You know, how are those two going to get along? And I'd be thinking like, then there was these conspiracy theorists that went through the case, Andy Dufresne's case. There's a bit of a smoke and barrel here. I mean, the guy was drunk. We know he had a gun on him. We know there was an ex and he was there. Um, what if six months later he just turns to Red and says, mate, i got something to tell you. I fucking did it and I got away with it. <laughs> and what are you going to do about it? I've, I've got the taste. So I'm going to do it again. Mm. I think there's a possibility. Yeah, and I mean, I've got an idea of what Red, Red's outcome is. And like, the more I think about it as we as the show goes on, I'm not sure if I can say it, but I'm going to. And uh, <laughs> like, surely in that moment when he's and Andy Dufresne says to him, "Look, Red, I did it, mate." Like the whole movie, no one knows what Red did. Does so it? Do we? Red do exactly. So I reckon Red's just going to turn around to Andy and just go, "Well, while we're at it, tell you what I did." <laughs> and then they just go on this crime spree. Yeah. Well, maybe Red goes actually. Well. I'll tell you now that I'm actually an informant. Yeah. I, I wasn't in jail for 40 years before no, you turned I up. I, you I, I came in the same day as you, mate, and I'm an informant and I was here to get that information. But there's ways we around There's ways around <laughs> this. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then Andy could say, yeah, that young bloke that come in tried to impress me, take him out. Yeah. Take him out. I don't need him, like, stirring the pot. No. Nah. Because I did it. So... Chapeau, you got away with it. So, yeah, I think the, the movies, what happens after the movie, you know, Scarface was the inspiration for that. I think also the fact that, well, you no know. There's no one alive left at Scarface. You had a similar experience before we watched Scarface where you'd like, you'd had a few drinks and you watched uh, Weekend, Weekend at Bernie's. And you like, after, you know, you had a couple of beers and for the first half an hour or 40 minutes, you think, oh, this movie's awesome. Like, what yeah. a what a laugh. Yeah. But then as you start to sober up or start to come down a bit, you're yeah. like, it's actually pretty sick. It, like, this it, dude's dead. He's up. got a sister. He's got a wife that loves him. He's got, yeah. he's got whatever. Now, you think the premise of that weekend at Bernie's, it should never be made into a film. It's so disrespectful to the family of Bernie mm. to think that they'll just throw this dead guy around like a ragdoll. Yeah. And, yeah, as you said, like, he's got family. He's got a sister. Probably, you know, he's got parents that might still be around that are going, where's Bernie? Yeah. And they drag this film. been ragdolled at his own house. Another, they got another film out of it. Yeah. It's disgraceful. Oh, George is George <laughs> Not a fan, George, of that segment? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I like the weekend at <laughs> Fuck me, if that was the gym, I'd hate to see what the rubbish was. <laughs> oh mate, it was bad. It was oh, bad. Jesus suffered through that, but here we are. <laughs> I thought you'd be good at it. I thought you'd come up with some crackers. <clears throat> no, I like it. I just haven't seen Short Drink Redemption recently. So I don't know who the fuck Bernie or Red was. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I thought, like, given it's a cult classic and everyone's seen it, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. But, like, for example, like, you know, a film like Castaway, like, what do you reckon would have happened at the end of Castaway, George, like, when he goes back? I don't know, but what, what I was just thinking of recent, just out of the top of my, just what I can't get out of my head and think of anything else is I met the actual family from the castle, like not the actual family, but the, the equivalent. And 
like an Australian family recently, and all I could think of was Dale Kerrigan. They were Dale Ker- the kid was Dale Kerrigan, and the mum and dad were there, and I just could not stop thinking the castle. So what what happens at the end of the castle? You know, where do you no, go from there? Cast- I, think- I said Castaway. You know, Tom Hanks when he's on the island. I know, I know, but I'm thinking of Castle now. Ah. But um, Castaway. No, Tom Hanks goes fucking troppo and mass- he's a Columbine shooter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. There's <laughs> another GB nugget that we have to bleep or cut out. Oh, that's all right, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I think you'll get some comments of people going, that's a bit, bit off. Oh, well. <laughs> Run it. Um, so I reckon, yeah, in, instead of <clears throat> doing the behind the movie or after the movie, we can still do that if people want to want us to. But we're going to... to the big thing that needs to be said is that we're in the we're we are in a three month racing pause now. Cycling news in general is low at the moment. I'm sure it'll start coming. So we need you guys to feed us content. Either that, or we take a little uh, we take a summer break or winter break, depending on what part of the world you're in. And we come back in the next season. Um, Tour of Southland was on. Oh yeah, first Southland to win it since 1994. No, an Australian one. No, Josh Burnett or whatever his name is. I think it's Josh Burnett, isn't it? Oh. Did it change? It must first... have changed overnight. I haven't looked this morning. Did he, just take... first... Did he just win today? He's the first... Yeah, I just finished. Yeah, Josh oh, Burnett. He's the, first... He's the first Southlander since 1994 to win the Tour of Southland. And as we all know, Tour of Southland is the fourth Grand Tour. So big things mm. to come for Josh Burnett. Well done, mate. Shit. Good on him. Oh, oh. I, I just saw that when the Aussie boys was, was after normally all the hard stages was was in front did you ever win southland didn't even get close one day i was one year i was third coming into like stage to go and it was winding and raining and i'd signed pro and i looked around and went what the fuck and just huge crashes and i was like i'm not going to the front of this race i'm just going to hide at the back here lost 25 minutes in the crosswind and that was my game that was the best i ever did did you win any stages I was that like a a bait, like a little? Was it a little? Well, you leave for this story set? time. No, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. All right, story time. Let's go. So, one time on the way to Tiano, uh, no, what had happened was it was actually on the way to Queenstown and we finished up the crown range. Oh, I do remember this. And, um, I don't know if it was a year I had a broken hand or not. I think it might not have been. Anyway, it was me and one guy left, Jeremy Yates, former junior world champion. And we were, we were way in front of everybody. And he stood up to attack me as a motorbike came around the corner and just knocked him off, just knocked him clean off his bike. I was like, oh, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to wait for him. And I put a bit of pace on. Anyway, he's fucking good. He was good. He, and I'm, I'm going to win the stage. But I kind of have a half feeling like, oh, I don't know. Like, I've heard about these unwritten rules in cycling, but I've never experienced them. And he's getting closer. And I'm like half going, but not really accelerating. And I half sort of do it. And in the end, I'm half fucking going. He catches me, beats me. 
crosses the finish line and like the tv cameras are there so he like does the whole like hand on the shoulder like looking like oh good job mate congratulating me as a young guy i was like fucking 17 or something 16 maybe i don't know but what he's actually doing it looks like he's giving me a pat on the thing he's saying it with a smile like good job but he's fucking grabbing me by the back of the neck you know giving me this one like full horse bite going you little fucking asshole you ever do that again and i'll kill you and i'm just going like but he's just sort of doing it with a smile you know he's like yeah you little fucker i'll fucking knock your head off and, and i'm just sitting there like ah, on the tv camera you know like this and then, the content's going oh great moment there well, yeah special moment between young and old in new zealand cycling you know i'm just sitting there like this as he's got me right around the neck that's so good and that was the closest he, i ever came to winning a stage he that's a life lesson he, he's helping you out for the future oh was yeah maybe well you never did it again he was jeremy yates was a lot of people probably know him and maybe he listens to the show who knows um probably find out but he uh he he was like had his troubles you know made some bad decisions at some time but i i liked i actually really liked jeremy and he but that guy he was fucking unbelievably classy eh like he was he was one of Wait, the best classy or strong good good rider he was strong yeah okay, he was one of the best i reckon one of the best bike riders to come from new zealand that never had a career you know um oh absolutely yeah Un, like engine wise unreal yeah but you know i like how in the podcast like it never i want to stay i want to stage never... itself that's what he wanted to get to yeah, that's I... what he wanted to get around right. to yeah i have to bring up photo but i like how this podcast never interrupts george's schedule for eating yeah, like one minute he's eating a bit of ham, then he's like off getting cereal. Like you always hear like clinging. Your well, I got to go training, like... and f- I got to go training, and I got to meet my friend in six minutes, and I haven't got anything ready. Who are you riding right. with? Shane. Ah, oh, he'll 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 be late. He don't care. Nah, just tell him he's late. Tell him you tell him you busy. You guys can watch me cut up and we keep talking though. Nah, well, before we'll we go, Bills. Um, obviously, you've done a great job, and I could see it in that video of the live potty pushing people to buy merch. I was thinking, like, I was listening to radio today, yeah, and they were talking about the number one selling candle in the world, 75 US, so that's a hundred over 100 Aussie, is that Gwyneth Paltrow, this smells like my vagina. What? And I was yeah, have you heard about this? She launched a couple of years oh, ago, I... and it sold, you can't get them, there's like six months backlog. And then I was thinking, but does that, do you tra- think that, does that she's trans- actually a genius? Do you think like yes? For a while there, she was the whole like sunning your perineum, and yeah. and you know okay. and and I thought oh this she's absolutely nuts. But what I realised is she's probably just having this fucking laugh. Going look at the like I'm actually like a candle that smells like my vagina. She's clearly taking the piss. She can't be that insane. She must just be going. These fucking idiots are buying this. Well, I was thinking, like, does it transfer over to blokes? Like, what if we released a candle that said, smells like GB's nutsack? (laughs) Smells like my chamois after seven hours after Lombardia. Smells like Bewley's gooch. I reckon they'd fly off the wall. (laughs) Smells like a chamois after getting throttled by Jeremy Hates. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't don't we just make our own own batch of candles and just come up with shocking tags and just... See him fly out the door. Yeah. Oh, look at that rig. I can Fuck, see where the, the moment. I can see where the self confidence issue comes from at the gym. 
I know. Oh, I remember that episode in the early days where we called him Skeletal. <laughs> you got called a thumb. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I like that how it's like, I think we talked, we talked about this, how people would be like, it's okay to be like, people would be like, man, you're just so skinny. Speaking of merch, <laughs> make sure you do go to the, go to the merch store, we'll put the link, the link's always in the profile of our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we'll put the link to the merch shop in the description of the show as well, um, support us. And, and we'll, we'll work on some candle ideas, give us some get, tags and we'll get some candles done, Yeah, coming into exactly. winter for Europe. And if you've got any content for us, we love it this time of year because, like we said, cycling's dried up. Send us any stories, any content, any questions, anything you want. You might want to any know. scenarios, any issues that you want us to unpack. Yeah, yeah. Send us like you know what what like, you want the panel to discuss right, to solve any problems. Right. Who's you got. in the wrong? Yeah, who's in the wrong? The third who umpire. The bar? Who put you in the barriers in the bar? Yeah, you can call us the VAR. We'll be call ourselves the VAR for the next couple of couple of months. Yep. The video ref. Yep. We'll read them out. Like, share, subscribe, everybody. Thanks for listening.